Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm at Juilliard talking to Dr. William Buse about the concept of gifted. Uh, Dr. William Buse completed his psychoanalytic training at the Postgraduate Center for Mental Health in New York City and his anthropological training at Columbia University. He's currently Director of Counseling here at the Juilliard School, where he has worked with students for the past 22 years. Dr. Buse also maintains a private psychotherapy practice on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He has published several articles exploring the fusion of anthropological and psychoanalytical theory. And um, we're talking about gifted, and I was first introduced sort of to the research of talent by a book that I bought here at the Juilliard Bookstore oh. <laughs> by, by Jeff Colvin called Talent is Overrated. And um, then when I went to graduate school, I learned a little bit more about the research on talent and how there's kind of these two camps. And basically, it's talent exists and talent does not exist. And, you know, those in the talent does not exist would argue that what we're really seeing is um, hard work that is sort of overlooked. Um, and so I, I was, I have a little bit, I lean towards that, um, that camp. But when I started to think about talent versus giftedness, I started to feel like there is a little bit of a distinction. And I sort of put an informal poll out to some of my colleagues and asked them, what do you think about this term gifted? And the responses I got had really nothing to do with sort of physical ability and skills in that regard and more to do with like, so more subjective skills and more abstract skills like mm -hmm. the way a body relates to space or expressivity or musicality or um, the ability to solve problems in a really creative manner and like all of those those perhaps are skills that can be taught but they're much harder to teach they're much less finite and I think wow it's, there's really some alarms out there <laughs> <laughs> and I, I started to think that like I think of gifted almost as like related to passion and there's sort of an, an awe, awesome quality mm -hmm. to giftedness um, versus an enviable quality and talent. Um, what do you think about gifted? Do you think people are gifted or what, what does that term mean to you? Well, I'm probably, I'm probably, uh, and we didn't plan it this way, but I'm probably strong in agreement with you coming from a culturalist point of view that I, you know, clinical experience and most of what I spend my time reading bears out that uh, what people refer to as gifted is something that's more learned than received. But I thought, let me just for the sake of this investigation try to unpack what gift means, uh, what gifted means. Um, for an anthropologist, the gift is is a critical uh, critical component of any society, and and historically, to most pre-modern societies, is the glue that holds societies and tribes and communities together. So the very first gift, if if Claude Levi Strauss is correct, is is a woman uh, given from one tribe to another in order to convert the neighboring tribe into relatives. So a gift is always coming from an external source uh, for an anthropologist. Uh, it always carries the obligation to reciprocate 
so to say that a performer is gifted carries a certain religious supernatural proposition. They receive something from somewhere. Uh, and again, it, it carries that obligation to reciprocate. It implies that the artist is so proficient that their talent cannot be explained by mere human effort. Um, so the, again, the gift implies a sort of supernatural endowment. Now, um, that's not so strange. In most cultures, pre-modern cultures, anything deviant is ascribed to something supernatural. Uh, examples that I can think of, because uh, it's personal, I have identical twins. In many pre-modern societies, in um, Native American, African, Asian, twins are thought of as either a sign of very, very good luck for the tribe or very bad luck. So. Uh, things that deviate from what's normally expected um, uh, in the, the most famous case I could think of preparing for this was black elk uh, because uh, it, it's such a, a classic situation from the Sioux tribe where black elk uh, kept passing out as a child so it was decided that he must be a shaman and eventually <laughs> he had uh, dreams that were painted on the side of the teepees that basically told of the uh, coming of of the uh, dead ancestors to liberate the Sioux, who were then being trounced by the by the West by the Europeans. Um, the following was the famous ghost dance. See, it's all related to dance. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, um, how does this concept of gift or how could it work for an artist so given what I just said um, even if I don't subscribe because I, I'm, I'm living you know post enlightenment in this modern modernist world where I, I think or I can point at least clinically to anything as being a result of learn learned behavior in spite of that uh, it doesn't matter if I actually believe someone's gifted or not what matters is what the person I'm working with thinks. And feeling as though one is gifted could actually be extraordinarily useful for someone. Um, and I, I'll tell you what I mean. There is a kind of uh, way in which any art form, dance, music, drama, the ones that we deal with here at Juilliard, are practiced, rehearsed, and visited so many times repetitively in the course of training um, that uh, there's, an, there's this decentered experience that occurs of the art as moving through someone rather than from somebody. I think it's this phenomenological experience for the artist that leads, leads them to adopt the notion of being gifted. It's as though it's coming from somewhere else. Um, and I find that very interesting. Where is it coming from? Uh, in fact, I, I mean, I have my own little amateur dabbling with this when I used to play an instrument where we're doing scales over and over again for hours and hours every day for months. Eventually, I felt like my fingers were moving and I didn't know why or where it was coming from, but they were moving and doing all the right things and I was just witnessing it. There's an experience, again, I, I repeat, of something moving through somebody. 
Um, I actually have it as a therapist. There are times when, when I feel that I'm in the groove and work is going really well where I'll say something to somebody and I won't know where it came from, but it'll be exactly the right thing. What's this all about? Uh, all right, so from a modern sensibility, given my training, I ascribe, I ascribe the source of all of what I just said to the unconscious, to this. So I suppose you might say that's my, the modern version of the supernatural. But mm-hmm. um, for me, uh, I, I'm with the more recent uh, analytic tribe who say that the unconscious is a storehouse of enormous wealth that, that knows infinitely more than our conscious mind does and that for the most part it's untapped an, an untapped resource um, famous examples are Carl Jung uh, uh, who, who had the idea of a collective unconscious which would be the storehouse of archetypes where, which, within which we all where, where we would take down figures or symbols that everyone regardless of your culture could relate to um, they were universal and, and primeval and, ar- and as he's called them, archetypal. So there's this notion of the unconscious. And then there are, there are others, um, in a very pragmatic way, someone named um, Milton Erickson, who did a lot of work with hypnosis. And this, this attracted me so much, I studied it for years and still use it, where uh, any repetition... Of, pra- of some practice that goes on over a long period of time and uh, even in the course of a, of a talk like this could induce a trance. Mm-hmm. And in trance, one of the wonderful things that happens is that the conscious mind basically is given a break, is given a rest. Uh, the conscious mind, as you can imagine, is working really hard from the moment you get out of bed till the moment you go to bed at night. So once the conscious mind is out of the way, the unconscious is free to roam. I think that feels, for most people who are uh, trying really hard to master their art uh, in a very deliberate conscious way, like something very strange and almost unwelcome. Um, For Black Elk, it it was enough to make them keep passing out. <laughs> so, and, and there are all other, and the genius of Freud is to point, is to, is to de- somehow deduce that there is a kind of unconscious operating somewhere in each person by reference to these strange and bizarre symptoms or these dreams or these slips of the tongue that he would hear. So I, I tend to... Now, now, Black Elk would not call it the unconscious. He would call it the great mystery. And he capitalized great and mystery. So, the great mystery. No God, no heaven, no unconscious. He simply referred to it as the great mystery. That which we will never really fully know or understand. It's a mystery, but it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, to that he attributed the source of his dreams. Uh, we call it unconscious because it makes it slightly more pragmatic and it makes it uh, something unconscious 
could almost be an adjective as well as a noun. So it makes it somewhat more usable, at least for me, when I work with people. So for me, an ideal situation would be for a dancer to come in and say, I had a dream last night, do you want to hear it? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but we're talking about gifts and feeling gifted, and to me, the source of gifts are, are that place that we all have, not just dancers, and athletes, and chess Scientists, prodigies, yeah. and uh, Charles Dickens, and, you, you know, any, anyone who produces or, or creates prolifically and um, cannot necessarily describe the source of, from where it comes, but we, we, we say they're gifted. Um, now, um, I'm now, for dancers, one, once, once this, this experience has been uh, identified, once this has occurred, there's, there's a definite realization that something has occurred that's different, different from anything else that one has consciously uh, worked very hard to achieve. So this is of another order, and, it, and there's no mistaking it. Following that experience, uh, many dancers, either in their own performance or when they're teaching other people, will try to recruit, enlist, construct rituals, uh, an elaborate system of rituals in class, at home, exercises, in their own practice, as a way of maintaining that direct line with that source, that source of what other people refer to as the gift. Mm. Um, the rituals themselves are not important, as, as, and they are not, they are not the, the source. Gift, yeah. They are not. Right. Um, but people often make a mistake of thinking they are. An example, wild tangent here. Um, for the last, um, since 1979, that's almost 40 years, I've been, since I moved to New York, I've been buying and collecting and reading tarot cards. And the reason for this is not because I, I believe there's any kind of actual magic in the cards. It's just that I have located a system that's archetypal that somehow uh, enables me to access that part of me that I'm describing as beyond my conscious thinking. So I can't necessarily consciously explain to you why I know that works and, and the cards themselves actually don't matter. What matters is finding the triggers that enable you to get there. So some people carry crystals around with them and some people re go to church every Sunday it doesn't matter w which way you get it it's that you do get it and you get the direct line so an enormous amount of religiously speaking rituals and, and even here at Juilliard well Juilliard is a very different thing we have scheduled people up the wazoo um, with performances, classes and you're part of that and I'm part of that um, in, a, in what I would describe as a full immersion experience. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like 
a, a scattershot approach. If one thing doesn't get you there, another thing will. And you're not going to come out of that immersion until you find it. And so basically people eventually, it's not meant to be mean or cruel or harsh, but eventually people's uh, hard, fast clasping on to their conscious mind to direct the show has got to give just from sheer exhaustion right and so once once that kind of lets go and gives they're turning themselves over to the other part of, they're beginning to trust that other part of themselves and again i call it the source of what other people refer to as the gift the, the unconscious um no um let's see well, so I, one, yeah. thing, one thing that you're talking about a lot, so this idea of ritual and how the ritual sort of binds or taps the person into this source of gift is really interesting to me. I mean, in some ways, you buying the tarot cards is like your way of staying, p keeping your work sort of at your forefront, but also allowing it to kind of slip into your unconscious. Like... You're, okay, I'm, I'm a psychoanalytic person. I'm engaging with these materials that remind me that I'm somebody who lives in the world thinking about people's minds. Right. But it's also, like, really other and removed from your actual day-to-day -day work. So it yeah, kind of I'm trying lets to you find slip a, in there. I'm trying to find as, and, and hold on to anything that will keep open... Uh, this portal to the part of me that operates more by imagination than by knowing. Right. Uh, there's I, most of my training is scientific, and it's in a, I mean, Columbia University is a pretty straightforward, positivist, scientific approach, and I was lucky. I had some good people there, but um, the idea is to uh, remember that the biggest part of who we are lies beyond that which can be known in a linear kind of way, cause and effect way, and the importance of that imagination that resides beyond. So it's that which you come up with in an imaginative way that may not have any rational right. basis. And the more you can trust or open up or turn yourself over to these kind of, quote, mistakes or these, like, non sequiturs or whatever, uh, the, the more you'll have that decentered experience of something as having occurred or gone through you. But yeah. really what it is is you're, get, you're, you're making friends with another part of you that's yeah. been there since you were little and has grown increasingly buried with the amount of bullshit that we right. that we are that yeah. we have to uh negotiate just to be citizens of new york yeah know? yeah so. so like the you know i am in this dance science field so kind of um uh, almost the opposite of what you're describing where it's like the dancer who stretches at night and rolls their leg on this ball and then does this stretch and isn't necessarily doing that to be flexible right. <laughs> like they might that's a ritual that keeps their portal open to this sort of place from whence the gift came sort of that need to stay in communication with the right. 
the source of the gift. Well, that's interesting because there are there are uh, if you're if you're a fan of Alexander technique or anything mm-hmm. like that, I am. Then you know <laughs> the the body is such a repository of of any feeling, also any defense that yeah. you you've ever uh, built or accessed. Um, so that physical sensation, not through dance in a very contrived way, but also through sex or swimming or running or breathing or any anything like that uh, can be opportunities to access that more childlike experience when all those walls had not been yet erected, yeah. you know, to... Yeah. Um, when we still trusted or feared that which we didn't know in a much more direct way. Right, right. Um, And you also started to talk about sort of the idea of the gift either um, creating resilience or becoming a burden. So This is a really important point because for a lot of people, this thing we're describing as a gift, again, this access to something within oneself that feels... Uh, that feels out of, not within our conscious control can for a lot of people that can feel like something ominous mm-hmm. and it can feel like a burden and it can feel like an affliction mm-hmm. um, over the summer I was reading a lot about uh, researching the woman who was referred to in ancient Greece as the Sibyl and the Sibyl was given for what little we can find that's attributed to her uh, was given to these sort of uh, kind of wild uh, aphorisms or poetic statements uh, describing her environment, describing the fate that uh, lied before Athens. Um, and she was given to all kinds of uh, seizures and stigmata and... Um, very gloomy. It, it felt mm-hmm. it, it was perceived by others as usually an older woman who was afflicted. Mm-hmm. It wasn't seen as a gift, yeah. but it was a gift. It was not really different than what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and she was highly revered and consulted by kings from all around because of this so-called gift. Um, but uh, the other thing I was thinking about was. Um, uh, this movie, The Red Shoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's, uh, I think it's initially experienced as this wonderful gift yeah. and then becomes like this thing a that. Debt. Yeah. 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 And so this notion of a gift and this opening is as much, we're talking about it in a very desirable way, but to be really truthful and to be absolutely neutral about it, it's neither good nor bad and it can be experienced at least as much as a burden as as a blessing. Yeah. Did you I heard recently somewhere in the etymology of gift is the German gift of which means poison. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll so definitely we'll have check to that out. Like that more, but um so yeah, I think to some people it can and it can also like you said by definition it's described as the thing which is beyond what the human could do for themselves. Like, like it's saying, you could not have possibly acquired this through practice. And what we know is that when you feel that you've acquired something through pa- practice, you have this like agency and autonomy that can build confidence and security. 
And when you're told that it hasn't come from your efforts, right? then you have none of those positive associations. And it also, I think, can feel like, well, maybe it will just go away as quickly as it came. Unless, Whereas when unless, you practice, you say, well, if it goes away, I'll just practice again, and then it'll come back. Well, that's a really good point. That's, again, you know, the gift might, if there is a gift, might actually be their ability to access that part of themselves that is free and, and to, to perform. But I have to say, not not everyone welcomes that. Yeah. Not everyone, uh, I'm, I'm, I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with uh, students here who have very, very mixed feelings about what they're here to do and why they're here and for whom they're here. Yeah. It often doesn't feel like themselves, yeah. like their choice. And I think for me, when I try to help people, it's to figure out, is there a way you can make this yours? Is there a way... All right, there's a large chunk of it that feels like it's coming from somewhere else. Is there some way that you can be on board with this, or, or do you want to move away from this and shut the door on it? Yeah. Uh, when you think about, you know, I mean, would you, would you go so far as to say that teachers and parents should really avoid using this term of, oh, my student is so gifted, or you're so gifted, or? I think it's, think it's, it's problematic f- that way. As I hear students talk, it's that's that can be experienced simultaneously as both an enormous compliment, but one a hundred percent of the time that carries extraordinary expectations. Yeah. So how could again, anthropologically speaking, every gift carries the responsibility of being reciprocated. Yeah. So what, you have a gift. How dare you squander the gift? Right. How dare you squander that gift? Yes. So you're, you'll have to go to your dying day knowing you had this gift and didn't use it. Right. That's uh, that is a curse. Yeah. So anyway, so I I don't know about the gift. I frankly I don't. In 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 the course of my work here at Juilliard, behind closed doors, speaking confidentially to students, the big. The big secret that's no secret at all is that people come in and talk about everyday problems just like anyone else who's not here at Juilliard. Right. right. You know, Troubles everyone wants to know what to do about their relationship, their yeah. their families. You the know, fight they had with their mother. The yeah, yeah. and or uh, if this does come up at all, it's in given the state of the world we live in now. Do I want to make this my source of a living? Yeah. Yeah. Now, some people, it's true, will say, I have no choice. Yeah. And that would be coming the closest to this notion of, this is my gift, yeah. I need to, it, it is what I do, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. who I am, and that, that's probably the closest I come. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you have sort of a self-selected population here, right? Because you're, there's students who don't come to see you at Juilliard who are coping well, perhaps. Well, we, we literally see one-third of the student body. Right. That's so, a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. But there's still two-thirds. And, and my... So speaking about how a gift can build resilience, you know, those might be the people who you see less if they feel that their gift is making them resilient. And I have really been struck here at Juilliard by um, the role of faith 
among students, and I've never seen anything in the research about that, but this, a lot of students come here with some background with um, religiousness, and I, I don't have that myself, and how, like, they'll have this feeling, you know, that they have a gift from God, and that they have this, this duty to fulfill the gift, and in some ways, I, I do see how it can make them resilient, because it takes them away from the sort of ego-oriented ambitions of the career, the sort of, I want this part, I want this job, I want that role, and sort of, like, anchors them into some other deeper thing of, like, God doesn't care if I have that part. I just need to fulfill my, I just need to dance. I just need to share this gift that I've been granted with people and, you know, share my passion. Well, on, on that one, the the majority of students who come here with this very strongly pronounced faith in in religious systems like Christianity are, in my experience, and what over time, are not the American students. Uh huh. They tend to be the students who are who are coming from other parts of the world, and so for them what they do and the rationale for doing it is articulated in religious terms and oftentimes it comes directly from their family uh-huh. and so the that faith that they have to me is a way of rationalizing the choice and is a way of cementing the family's wish for the student mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in American students they don't see it and as far as going in for auditions and the American students I'm working with, and this may be a detriment or not, but their best hope is to get to the point where every audition is important to them for the only for the time they're actually doing the audition, and then they move on and right. forget about it. Right. And and in a way, that's calling the whole business of who wins an audition or not the great mystery. Yeah. That's that's the great mystery. <laughs> right, Why does right, it work? We right. don't need to know. We don't care. All we need to do is a really good job in the audition. Right. Because people now went auditions because they were six foot two, or because they were blonde, or because they were, they had a certain accent, or because they limped or something. People right. get auditions for so many reasons. Right. So in that respect, turning it over to something bigger than themselves whether it be uh, God or a gift or whatever, is valuable. Yeah. You know, yeah. removing the personal. Again, right. it's, it's less about it being a gift from beyond than whatever. It, that's just a t- tactic or strategy to remove it from your own personal agency. Right. You're like, I'm not really driving the ship here. Yeah. You know, something else is. Yeah. And again, I just keep coming back to that, like, that could be good or bad. That's right. <laughs> that That's removal right. Like, of your struggle with like that. that lack of agency could be really problematic, but it could also, in moments, make you resilient. Resilient, I suppose. Um, I think that's a thorough conversation. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. Do we? What is there anything else that you want people to know about this topic or your work with dancers in general? Or we talked a lot about. We talked a little. We touched on flow a Do little you, bit. We talked about ritual. The burden versus the blessing. Um, the worst thing that has happened to dancers, and it, ha- it doesn't seem to happen now as much in the last year or two, 
But for years, the worst thing that, that I heard that could happen to a dancer is to have their body uh, gratuitously commented upon yeah. by their teachers or their administrators or strangers even. Yeah. Uh, that to me, I, and I don't know how this comes into being gifted or not, but it just... It might not. It might just be something that you as an expert of mental health it just, want to share with listeners it, who care about dancers. That's yeah, fine. It just <laughs> seems to me to be... If, if, if my instrument is myself, and I'm totally invested in that, and it's everything for me, and it's the one thing I can control and have responsibility for, mind your own business. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. It's not there to be commented on, and yeah. yet people do, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, In all directions. You know, I, positive, negative. Yeah. I know. And so I suppose... Well, and I the, guess it's related in that the body can be the gift in dance. It can be that your body has this capacity for turnout and these legs that are very long and yeah that, or that's not or I had that experience that special experience of turning it over to something larger to me while I was dancing all of what follows is not really important yeah I had the experience yeah what people choose to make of it could amount to their envy that they're they're not able to have it right. um, anyway Anyway, <laughs> I think we're good. I, I think so. I okay. think so. Well, thank you so much, Bill, thank for this you, conversation. Our, I learned a lot. It was fun having, talking to you. Yes, thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!